morning to Sunday school. I hope you're all doing well. Um, it is a blessing to be here. Uh, let's go ahead and turn to the book of Colossians. Um, get there. There we are. We get in the chair and tell you one of the blessings that I foresee coming up in the very, very near future is, uh, uh, being able to, um, have the second surgery that, uh, that is, uh, gonna help take care of some of the little problems that I've got going on and, uh, praise the Lord for that. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's always, Scary sitting there thinking about, uh, you know, having to go through, an, you know, another surgery or something of that nature. But, uh, I'll tell you, it's, uh, definitely a, uh, a blessing when that, uh, is going to be all taken care of. So, uh, I, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, hopefully today we might uh, be able to get through, uh, possibly to the end of chapter one. I'm not sure. We'll see. I, I know we've been, slowly moving through this um uh there's there's a lot that is jammed here in the first part as paul begins to uh outline exactly uh you know the need and um what uh, the the colossians uh colossians excuse me the church at colossi are going through and uh what they need to get as far as direction and again we see in chapter 1 that the very first thing that he does is he establishes it has to be the preeminence of Christ in a person's life. Uh, he is the preeminent one. Uh, he should be over all and over all things in our life and over all things uh, that we do. And we've we've talked about that. Um, and as we get down here to a little bit more, we got down to um, verse 21, and we'll start there. And he says, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Now we're going to kind of stop right there at that point. Uh, we'll we'll try to get through a little bit further, but uh, we talked a bit about uh, some of that alienation and what uh, um, was going on uh, with sin and how sin does cause us to be separated from God. Um, and we talked uh, a little bit about uh, what we are in God's sight. And again. One of the key things that we always have to remember and we have to keep in mind is this, is it's it's what God's perspective is, okay? So we, we see that there in verse 22, it's, a, it's in his sight. Um, everybody's going to have a different perspective about something. Uh, they're going to see it a different way. And sometimes we, we enjoy hearing another person's viewpoint or perspective. Sometimes what is seen from that individual's viewpoint may have more detail, less detail, may have different details, uh, all of those different things. I mean, we see uh, that uh, specifically with uh, the Gospels where uh, God uses uh, these four different men to uh, portray the attributes of Christ, uh, his uh, 
you know, his royalty, his uh, servanthood, his, uh, um, uh, his, uh, if you will, the, the body of flesh and his deity, all of those things we see that uh, um, God uses those men to per, uh, give different things, different perspectives. You know, we were talking Friday night um, uh, in, in the men's Bible study, some things about uh, uh, power of word and what word does. And, and you find over in John, as an example, one of the recordings that John uh, has that uh, the others don't is when uh, they came and uh, Jesus asked, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus. Um, and he says, I am he, and just those three words knocks everybody down to the ground. I mean, that, that, that right there. There's a bit, a bit of a different viewpoint when it comes to who God is and the power of God's word. Uh, so we see that, obviously, uh, being demonstrated there. But it's God's viewpoint that is the most important. Uh, we should always be seeking to know how God sees the situation what God is looking at. And, and, and again, you know, to understand that, you, you have to begin to have a knowledge of who God is, that he sees everything. He sees the thoughts. He sees the intents of the heart. He sees all of that. And this is why it becomes important when we see those words in his sight and get that understanding, is that it comes down to how God views what's going on in our life. Now, many times we will think we're doing the right thing, but we may have a motive that is different. We may have an intent. It may look good on the outside, but the actuality of it is, is that it's something uh, that, that is very selfish. So we have to be very careful with that. But the way that God sees us because of what God uh, has has done because of the salvation and the shed blood is he sees us holy. And very clearly we're called to be holy uh, repeatedly in scripture. Uh, he says, be holy as I am holy. Uh, we, we have a call to obviously salvation where that holiness begins and the sanctification where we continue in it. And this is what he wants us to do, continue in that. And we'll see that in a minute. Uh, unblameable, meaning that uh, right now our sins, uh, they, there's, there's nothing that the accuser can accuse us of that has not been paid for. Now, does that mean we sin after we're saved? Yes, we can sin after we're saved. That is, that is a fact. You know, that's why Romans chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 exist. Uh, we're not to continue in sin we're to continue in faith, we're continuing in holiness, we're continuing in hope, we're continuing in charity, we're continuing in prayer. There's a lot of things we are to continue in. Sin's not one of them. We're supposed to put those things away. And as we, we, we that's, you know, part of that process where we're going through and we are sanctifying ourselves. God has set aside for a, per, a certain use. We need to make sure that that use is being uh, uh, done accordingly and appropriately. Um, the unblameable part that we were talking about means that there's nothing that somebody can come and, and point their finger at. The Bible says that we're supposed to be um, blameless. Uh, we shouldn't be doing anything that uh, um, would, if you will, appear as if it is sin. We, we don't want to be held blameable. In the eyes of the world, uh, 
I dare say that, uh, you know, televangelism has really done a, uh, I don't want to say fantastic job, uh, but they've done a really impressive one of uh, making sure that they're blamable. Um, I mean, it's one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. And then you start seeing that there's churches. It's one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. You, you, you don't want to do any of that to bring blame, to, 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 to have a, a, a finger pointed in any which direction to say, oh, that's a Christian. Well, look at what they have done. So we have to make sure that we're careful with that. Now, obviously, in the eyes of the Lord, it's forgiven. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Unreprovable, meaning that nobody's going to be able to find a fault. Nobody's going to be able to uh, uh, find that offense that is uh, going to prove us guilty in a court. You know, if we were to look at the whole situation as a court of law, and there's the accuser that is accusing us, uh, saying we are guilty, and Christ says, I don't see anything because his his his, his uh, sins have been paid for. Um they're covered under the blood and, uh, they're washed away and the, it, 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 the account's been paid in full. But yet we still can have some faults that we need to make sure that we take care of. So we need to make sure that we remain that way in his sight and that we remain that way also in the world to make sure that we're not bringing any shame to Christ. Because in verse 23, he says, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now here he is and he's pointing this out and he's saying, look, you know, we're reconciled to God by salvation, but I'll tell you this, we cannot, we can really mess up that relationship, can't we? You know, somebody gets uh, married and uh, you've got a man and woman, they're married and they, uh, come together and that marriage is, is firm and there's no, you know, divorce isn't even part of the, the terminology that they use. But I'll tell you this, there's times that uh, there's breaches in that relationship. There's times that, that, that things occur where the relationship kind of goes sideways. Um, the guy does something, the gal does something, whatever it is. Um, sometimes it's the slightest thing, sometimes it's a big thing. It doesn't matter. Uh, but uh, again, as part of the process where we're talking about making change stick in our life, uh, there has to be a reconciliation process. You have to go through a process where you make things right. If you are not willing to make things right, uh, there's going to be a problem with repentance. There's going to be a problem with, uh, um, uh, you know, seeking the forgiveness. There, there, there are issues. But here he, he's saying, look, you reconcile, but, but we need to make sure we're not bringing anything into that relationship that is going to cause problems. And here he says, I want you to continue. Continue. I want you to turn over to the book of John, John chapter 8. You know, God, God has some things that we're supposed to continue in. Here specifically, he talks about continuing in faith. And in the same vein, in the same mindset, Jesus Christ talking uh, here to um, these Jews um, that uh, had believed in verse 31, it says, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. 
continuation in word is, is a necessity for being a disciple of Christ. That's why the word of God is so important in a Christian's life. If we're going to be a disciple of Christ, i.e. a Christian, the terms are synonymous, then, then I'll tell you this. We need to make sure that we know the word of God. If we don't know the word of God and the word of God is not pertinent in our life, we cannot call ourselves a disciple. I mean, you, you, you go to some of these, uh, uh, these churches that are out there today and they claim to be Christian. They claim to be, uh, you know, having disciples, uh, being, you know, raised for the Lord and, and so on and so forth. And, uh, and you find maybe somewhere in those messages or in that time that they call worship, that maybe, maybe there is a small, little quick reference to the Word of God, but there is no importance placed upon it. You know what happens? You're not creating disciples. That's not, that's not helping anybody. It's the Word of God that does that. He says, if you continue in my Word. Paul's talking the same thing. Because again, what is faith about? Faith is believing God at his word and acting in obedience with it. We find that very clear with the book of Hebrews chapter 11. But what we find with this here at this point is he's saying, look, you need to continue in, uh, in my word if you want to be a disciple. There has to be a continuation in something. Yeah, Your life just doesn't end, Right? When you trusted Christ as your Savior, your life just didn't end. Um, you know, we have a continuation of life. You woke up this morning and you continued your life. You'll go to bed tonight and continue tomorrow, Lord willing. Right? Some of us go back to work. Some of us don't. Whatever it may be, you know. Uh, but we continue life. And you know what happens the day after that? Continue, continue, continue. And if we're going to do something in this life, we have to continue in the way that God wants us to be in. And that specifically is in his word and continuing in faith. Take a look at another chapter, chapter uh, 15 of John. John chapter 15. Specifically here he is talking to uh, his, uh, to the, the 12. And, uh, here he is, uh, saying in, in, uh, chapter 15, he's talking about him being the vine and, uh, uh, God the Father being the husbandman and branches and bearing fruit. And, and, uh, you go down through this and he, again, he's talking about disciples in verse eight here. And is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples? And he's saying uh, a disciple bears fruit, right? That's a key important principle to remember. In verse 9, it says, though, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. And he makes this very clear. He's saying, look, this is what I want you to do. I want you to continue in my love. And he goes through a whole thing. And for, for, for sake of importance, in verse 10, it says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Uh, you want to know how you get joy in your life? Do what God tells you to do. 
Oh, it's not that simple. It, no, no, it is. It really is. You, you, you want true joy in your life? Uh, just do what God tells you to do. Just do what God tells you to do. Abide in it. Make that your home. Make, make, make that the place that you dwell. Make that the place that you love to go to. And I tell you, your joy will just compound upon itself. Because love is necessary for that next stage of joy, according to the fruit of the Spirit, right? So what we see here, he says this, uh, there might be full. Uh, this is my commandment in verse 12, that you love one another as I have loved you. He makes it very clear. Brothers and sisters in Christ need to love each other. In other places, he talks about that's how people are going to know your disciples. But you know what? <clears throat> Why is it that Christians just can't seem to get along? Why is it that they have no unity? Well, part of it is because, as he points out to the church at uh, Corinth, uh, a bunch of people are following men. A bunch of people are following themselves. People have got uh, their preferences and people have got their doctrines that they like and they promote and so on and so forth and whatever it is. And, and, and you know what's missing? What's missing is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Charity. Because it's the greatest. You know what that tells me? The church of Corinth... They may have been a big, thriving church with a few problems, just just a few. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you this. You know what they lacked? Charity. He has to dedicate a whole chapter to charity, saying this is what you need to be seeking to do. You need to be seeking to edify one another. You need to excel at edifying, he says in the next chapter. You know how you edify? You have to understand charity. You cannot edify if you do not understand charity. You know, people always talk about rewards, right? Is I'm sorry, this this is this is a side note. I just gotta say this. Everybody talks about rewards in First Corinthians 13. Everybody starts talking about rewards, about number of people that they got, you know, that, that they they led to Christ, or uh, how long they served, or or you know wh- whatever it is they did and stuff like that. I I, I just want to know if we've ever thought about uh, that gold, silver, and precious stones, specifically the precious stone part, um, do we ever think that maybe that's not just souls being saved, but that's Christians that we've edified? We're given so much in this life. We can't take five seconds to turn around and have charity towards someone else and edify if God spends a lot of time talking about charity, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a reward for that. If he talks a lot about edification and loving one another, as far as the church and the body of Christ goes, I'm pretty sure there's a reward for that. I don't think people think about that. I don't think people think about that. That was free. Moving on. Uh, going back over there to uh, um, that uh, verse 23 in Colossians chapter 1, 
you know, here he is, he's talking about, uh, you know, continuing, and we see continuing in love, we see continuing in faith, we see continuing here in uh, um, uh, this passage, continuing in that faith. Uh, but there's a way that the faith is supposed to be. So if we've got continuing in the word, continuing in uh, um, faith, continuing in um, love, he says there, there has to be a faith that is grounded. I will tell you this, in today's day and age, there are a lot of Christians that run around that have absolutely no concept of what faith is, and faith is some sort of ethereal thing that's out there um, that's like fairy dust, and they don't know what it is, and you sprinkle a little bit of it onto something, and it magically makes everything better, right? I've had people talk about, well, it's my faith. No, it's not. Since when was it your faith? It's the faith of Jesus Christ that saved you, according to Scripture. So let's get that you know narrowed down. Your faith is dependent upon God's word and your obedience to it. You can't just make up what your faith is. That's that's the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard. But sometimes people have faith that is, I mean, faith that flies away. That is not grounded. You, and what do I mean by that is, is this, is that they've got faith one minute and then the next minute it's gone. Perfect case in point, Peter getting out of the boat. Dude gets out of the boat. I don't swim. I sink. I'm staying in the boat. Well, then I guess you have little faith. Well, so did Peter. Because he sank like a rock too. Need Lord's assistance. What happened? His faith dwindled. His faith disappeared. You know why faith disappears and why faith dwindles? Why faith flies away? Because there's no grounding in the Word of God. There's no foundation set in Scripture. That's so often what happens. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. <clears throat> now remember that passage that I just talked about over there in, in uh, John chapter 15 where he says continue in love. I want you to see the parallel here. I want you to see how these things start lining up, start connecting, if you will, in verse 17 that it says in verse 16, just backing up here, what his desire is that he, God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. You want to live a godly life? You want to know how to do that? You have to be grounded. You ever heard uh, to, to kind of given as a descriptor to a person? A person's flighty. They flit and flitter about all over the place. Here one minute, gone the next. You know, in today's day and age, we call that Christian ADD or ADHD, whichever whichever diagnosis you want to put in there, right? You know, the Christian should be focused. 
the Christian should be directed. The Christian should be living a life that is guided, is structured, is ordained of God. Those are all words that we see in Scripture that tells us how we're supposed to live our Christian life. And here he's saying, look, you know, you, you want to know about the fullness of God? You want to know what that looks like in your life? You want to know how how to have that happen? Well, it, it, it goes back to that issue of love and, and, and knowing that love, knowing its breadth, length, and depth, and height. That's interesting. There's four dimensions to it, not just three. That makes a lot of scientists just go. But uh, uh, but now they, they are talking about the fourth dimension, if they will, and they start labeling it as time. And if we were to take that and, and, and understand that, what's going on here, he makes it really clear that, that, that in every aspect of our life, if you will, in that three-dimensional, four-dimensional capacity that we as believers, that we as Christians should have that love understood in every area. Well, what does it mean? It means we need to be rooted and grounded in it. Well, how do we know about the love of God? The love of God is written in his word. Here we are getting ready to come upon, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, Valentine's Day. Tomorrow, wife and I, 24 years marriage. 24 years. We met face to face on February 13th, all, not all the same day and year. Okay. Just making sure to clarify. We, we, we kept, we just kept the, the February 13th. Uh, February 13th is when we met for the first time in face to face. Uh, February 13th is, uh, the day that I proposed to her and we got married on February 13th. So we just thought we kind of keep it the same. Thought it was cool. Uh, and, uh, you know what? I'm not one of those people that's afraid of the number 13. It's because it's been a blessing my entire life. It's been a blessing my entire life. And I'll tell you, you know, people all get talking about love and things like that at this time of year. The greatest love letter ever written is right here in your lap. Mm-hmm. You're never going to find one greater. Greater love hath no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. Right back over there where we were in John chapter 15. One of my favorite verses. He loved us so much he laid down his life for us. As Romans 8, 5, 8 says, uh, he did it even while we were sinners. And praise God, he doesn't view us that way. But what we find here is he says, you need to be grounded in this. You know, if we're wanting Christ to dwell in our hearts by faith, there's got to be some rooting and grounding in the principles of God. Faith has to be grounded to be effective. Otherwise, it can be hazardous. What happens if you don't have ground electricity grounded? It's a shocking experience. Anybody in here ever been shocked by electricity before? Anybody had that done repeatedly, voluntarily? <laughs> Marshall, you had your hand up. <laughs> I don't even know if I want to know. 
I had one of the situations where they kept using uh, uh, electrical stimulation uh, on my arms and my nerves, trying to figure out some nerve conductivity issues. And and essentially, they're using something that looks like it. I, I, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but they wheel in this cart that has this large thing that has all these warning labels on it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at it, and it looks like a car battery, and it has these cables coming off to these prongs, and I'm sitting there going, pretty sure that gets used in interrogation at some point in time. (laughs) They bring this thing out, and I'm like, what are you going to do with that? You know, they have me sit in this special chair and they have me strapped down so I'm not jerking and flopping about. And I'm like, there's something about this. If you just like dim the lights, I will confess. Okay. <laughs> I was just like, what's going on here? And you know, and then they start shocking me to see how quickly my nerves are reacting. And they got all these measurement devices and stuff. And I'm just like, okay, let's go ahead and bring out the car battery. Actually, it was more along the size of a yacht battery. The thing was huge. I'm just like, wow, this, but that's what happens if you don't have grounding. It's a dangerous situation. God wants us to be grounded. God wants us to be rooted, planted, growing in his word. He wants that growing in our hearts so that produces the fruit that he's asked us to do as disciples. Go back, uh, go over to, 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 to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, grounded and settled. You ever been unsettled about something? Get a little nervous? You start like doing the whole wet noodle thing all over? You're not settled about it? In uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, um, verse 10, it says, but the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. You ever read that verse and just stop and meditate on it for a while and said, say, say to yourself, did God just tell me that in order to be settled in my life, to be established, strengthened, and perfect, I'm going to have to go through some stuff. Yep. You know, we, we, we have a tendency to think the opposite. When a bunch of things are coming our way, we're not settled about it. But, but, but let's, let's think about it. It will settle you. Because you have to begin to make some some very serious decisions in your life. You have to begin to sit there and say to yourself, okay, self, if if I'm going to do this, then I need God's help. Lord, help me. You know what that's going to do? That's going to settle the matter. And he tells us specifically that, you know, over there back in, in, in Colossians 1.23, it says, if you continue in the faith... Grounded and settled. It has to be settled in your mind. It has to be, if you will, uh, uh, unshaken, not moving about, nothing of that nature. It's settled. That God is going to be the preeminent one. 
that Christ will have the preeminence in your life. That by faith, you're going to say, I'm going to believe what God tells me to do because I love him and I'm going to obey it. He says, this is what you need to do. I tell you, that will, that will make sure that the relationship is in the right place. And you're not having to do a bunch of reconciliation cleanup. If you've ever had to do accounts receivable and you have to, have to do what they call the recons or the reconciliations where the customer says one thing and your books say something else and you got to go through and figure out, okay, who's right and who's wrong and why are they, you know, that, that, that's, that's a problem. Something is not correct. The books should say the same thing. Our life, which is, which is Christ, should say the same thing that he says. Not something different. That is an unreconciled life if we're still living in sin. We still have to make some things correct. But going back over there, he says if you, uh, in, in Colossians 1.23, he says if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved. Be not moved. You know, one thing that I really do not like in my life other than green beans, glitter, and gum? Um, <laughs> moving. Does anybody really relish moving? Packing up all your plumage, putting it in boxes, stuffing it in the back of a U-Haul, hoping it all fits, figuring out what needs to go to Goodwill and what doesn't, what needs to go in the trash. All that. And then do a degree, there's somewhat of a purge, and you go and you look and you go, okay, it's all packed. And then you haul it to somewhere else, and then you gotta unload it. And then you gotta unpack it. And you know what? I'm sorry. I've done that so many times in my life, I am done. I, 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 I lost track. It was like 20 something moves in my entire life. And I just was, you know, when I sat back and counted it, I was 30. And I was like, wow, um, that's a lot. You know, here I am rapidly approaching 50. And I'm like, okay, now, now, now the average is starting to span out a little bit more because I'm starting to stay in one place longer. <laughs> but, you know, just the constant moving. Man. It's the same thing with Christ. Why would we ever want to move away from that? Why would we want to move away from something that's going to ground us and settle us? Why would we want to move away from something where we're now reconciled with uh, with a holy, righteous creator of the universe? Why, why, why in the world would we ever want to move away from that? Why would we want to move away from the blessings of God and go back to the degradation and the despair and the, just the... The, the, the horrific nature of sin itself and what it leads to. But people are. Christians frequently are. But you know what? They're, they're, it, it, the, the situation that he's talking about here isn't a person like Demas who, who forsook uh, and, 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 and he loved the present world, as Paul says. I want you to see what this guy does or, or what, what, what Paul's saying to be careful about moving away from. Is from hope. It's from hope. 
just take a look at a couple of passages. I, I want you to, to, to go to, um, well, let's see here. I want you to go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's start with this one. 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's look at verse 16, uh, 17 here. You know, he, he, he talks about people um, uh, resting uh, scriptures, uh, talking about them being unstable in the previous uh, part. Uh, but uh, I want you to look down verse 17. He says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things before, beware. Beware, lest ye do also. He's saying, look, you, you pay attention. Pay attention. Watch what you're doing. Be careful. Being led away with the error of wicked, of the wicked. Fall from your own steadfastness. Here's a person that is grounded and settled, and the next thing you know is they're falling flat on their face. Well, what happened? Well, they weren't walking circumspectly, I can tell you that. And they weren't aware. They weren't aware of what was going to go on, and they weren't aware of the repercussions. They weren't aware of the consequences, or if they were, they didn't care. But the end result is is that they fell from their own steadfastness. This can happen. This can happen. The Bible warns about that, saying, be careful, because it can happen to you, too. You see it happen to someone else? Don't, Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. You might be next. So you know what you do? You need to be rooted and grounded. Faith. Go over to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 14. Take a look at the first part of this comparison here. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. You know, there's a way of hope and there's a way of hopelessness. When it comes to counseling and it comes to talking to people about problems and issues, I'll tell you this, one of the biggest things you always have to do if you're ever going to counsel anybody is give them hope. Give them hope. You need to make sure you, you, you communicate that. You need to make sure you can communicate to them this can be and will be fixed if we all seek God in his word to do it. That's hope. That's hope. Modern day psychological psychiatry counseling therapy doesn't do that. They just have you sit there and just like blah, 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 blah. And oh, okay. And then they may tell you to blame it on your mother, your father, your dog, your whatever, your goldfish, because your goldfish is oppressing you or whatever. And in the end result is, is you don't have any hope. You know, if you start blaming other people, you can't put, you can't get hope. If it's everybody else's fault, you'll never have hope. So you have to take accountability for your own actions. You have to do what God tells you to do. 
But here he says that the backslider shall be filled with his own, uh, backslider in his heart shall be filled with his own ways and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. But he's saying, look, you know, it comes down to the heart. What's in the heart? Well, if we're filling our heart with the word of God and we're grounded and settled in that and by faith of being obedient and doing it, uh, I'll tell you this, you know, it's going to be harder to move away. It's going to be harder to move away. And I want to, uh, I, the reason I want to point these things about falling from our own steadfastness and being a backslider is because that's when we move away from hope. You ever wonder what we're sliding away from when we're backsliding? We're sliding away from hope. Because the further you slide into sin, the more hopeless the life looks. Why? Sin doesn't offer any hope. You know what sin does? Sin will leave you for dead. It doesn't care. Oh, you had your fun? Good, go die. Well, the conversation sin will have with you. Well, I need some help now. I don't care. Why don't you add some more sin to that? That might make it feel better. I don't want to make it feel better. I want it fixed. I, I, I want resolution. I want it gone. The only way sin disappears is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The only way that sin gets fixed is through using the word of God to, 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 to purge it out, to cut it out, and then to fill what was taken out with what is right and what is good. That's the important thing. It's the important thing. While we're in the neighborhood, turn over to Psalm chapter 71. Psalm chapter 71. Psalm chapter 71. Again, verse 14. But I will hope continually. How did Paul start out that verse? If ye continue. You know what needs to continue in our life? Hope. If, this is right here, but I will hope continually and will praise thee, will yet praise thee more and more. You know what happens in your life when you start seeing the hope of Christ? You start praising God a lot more. If your mouth isn't filled with praise of who God is and what he's done for you, then I I would say there's a problem about understanding what hope you have. What hope is found in Christ. It's really hard to mumble, murmur, complain, and be malcontent about a situation if all you're doing is praising God. It doesn't, you can't. If you're saying, praise God for his goodness and his greatness and his mercy towards me. Count your many blessings, right? Talking about that this morning. Well, okay, well, what do we, okay? Hope continually. I'm going to praise him more and more. We continue in the hope. That's why we shouldn't be moved away from it. We shouldn't be moved away from it. He says, if you continue, going back over to the book of Colossians, if you continue in the faith, ground and settle, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard. There's hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
There's hope in that gospel that he came, was born of a virgin, was in the flesh for us, was brutalized for us, and shed his blood for us, and crucified to a cross for us, and then died and rose again so that we would have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. There's hope in that. There's hope in that. Because again, that's how we take care of the sin problem. Everybody's saying, oh, how are we going to fix Chicago? Build a Bible-believing church on every corner. Force people to go. You're like, well, no, that wouldn't be right to force people to go because we need, you know, we have freedom of religion. You realize there was no freedom of religion in the nation of Israel? You were not allowed to free, uh, free to worship your own evil gods. If you came to that land and you start, how come people don't talk about this when they start using verses out of Leviticus about, you know, the immigrant? You know what they did? When they came to that, it came to the nation of Israel and they were strangers and foreigners, they had to forsake their idols. And if they didn't, what happened? They were put to death. Why don't we talk about that? Oh, anyways, moving on. There's, you know, Christ fixes everything. I'm not saying we should force people to go to church. You understand what I'm saying. I'm saying that, you know, God is going to fix that. Because there's hope found in him. But people don't want the hope. They'd rather try to fix it themselves. And that's the problem. That's the problem. It's the hope that is in, uh, uh, of the gospel. He says, which you have heard, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, made a minister. Now here comes the ministry. And, and, and I'm looking at my time. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get to this. But, but here, here he begins to go into the ministry that God has given him. And the ministry that God gave Paul is very specific. And if you go back over there to the book of Colossians in Colossians chapter 1, let's quickly read what that ministry was. In verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Part of the ministry was suffering. Part of the ministry was suffering. He says, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. He clarifies what the church is. It's the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ. And he says, you know what? Here's the ministry. What do we have? We have affliction and we have, well, suffering. Those things happen. Those are things that occur. Those are things that are not that popular to talk about. But you know, that's part of what God specifically was saying. We as, you know, believers have to understand. There's certain people that are going to go through some sufferings and going to go through some afflictions and they're going to go through it for other people. They might go through it for you. Sometimes people are just like, oh, that's so sad. And say, yeah, I, I know. It's tough. It's a, it's a hard thing to think about and a hard thing to go through. But I will tell you this specifically, there's he, he's rejoicing. He rejoiced in the sufferings and afflictions. That's not the first thing we think of. Get a flat tire. 
The first thing you do is you know, pull over to the side of the road and go, oh, praise God, I got a flat tire. Get out and you look at it and you're just like, yeah, I start getting a little Pentecostal and doing a little dance and, you know, WhatsApp pulls up behind you with their funky little vehicles that are flashing lights and everything. Hey, you need help with that? Yeah, man, I need a total lot of help with this. I don't know how to change this flat tire, but, but I got a flat tire. Praise God. You know, this is great. I'm going to be late for work and everything. Guy's looking at you like, okay, I got a crazy over here. You want to say in state patrol and come take this out? <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying is, is there should be a rejoicing because of it. Just think about what Christ suffered for us. That puts all of our sufferings into comparison. It's like a paper cut. Oh, we're suffering for Jesus. I know here in the here in the United States of America, we've got the quote unquote Western problems. Suffering for Jesus might be somebody looks at you a little funny when you pray for your food. Come on, and I understand things are getting worse and things are not that be, not that good at this point in time, and people are hating on Christians. They've been hating on Christians since Christ. Let's just be honest about that. You know, we're sitting there like, oh man, they hate us. And, and Peter, who, you know, he didn't die a pleasant death, goes, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All the rest of the disciples, mm-hmm. James, who was beheaded, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. John the Baptist, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what happens. So your head's still attached. <laughs> Praise God for that. <laughs> but he says... This is part of this ministry. He says, and he's talking about uh, the church, and he says, whereof I am made a minister, in verse 25. He's made a minister. You know what a minister is? minister is somebody that helps. A minister, specifically, is somebody that edifies. We all have a ministry. We all can do that. Some people think, oh, ministry is like if I teach a junior church. That's a ministry. Do you know what else is ministry? Encouraging and edifying the people sitting next to you. Making sure you know, they know that you're praying for them. Making sure that, that, that you care about their situation and what's going on. That becomes important. That becomes important. I don't have time to get through the rest of this, but I just wanted to introduce this subject of ministry. We'll talk a little bit more about this, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and uh, uh, break from Sunday school with a word of prayer uh, and get ready for our 11 o'clock hour. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for an opportunity to study your word here in the book of Colossians. I pray, Lord, that we would uh, just continue to uh, be be in that faith, and rooted, grounded, settled And Lord, staying close to that hope that we have in you. Thank you again, Lord, for this opportunity to study. And pray, Lord, you continue to be with us for the 11 11 o'clock hour. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.